And if you want to find your Bibles and turn to the book of Ephesians, we are making our way systematically through this book. We're at Ephesians chapter 6 today. And uh, for all of you moms out there, we want to express to you a very happy Mother's Day. We hope this is a, a great day. And we want you to know that you are appreciated. Perhaps one of the best ways that we can really honor our moms is just to express thanksgiving. Um, maybe that means I'm, just, I'm going to be thanking God. But if you have opportunity, maybe thank them specifically. As I'm thinking about Mother's Day and getting a chance to talk with my mom later today, um, there's a lot that I have received from my mother. I've actually got a lot to be thankful for. Like my mother, uh, she was the one who taught me how to read at an early age. She taught me how to play the piano. My mother is the one who taught me like how to show respect to people, uh, especially ladies. Uh, One example of that was like uh, we had uh, gone, we were at a a department store. Uh, My brother and I, we were kind of wrestling and fighting and messing around. We had walked through and uh, it was kind of blowing out there and, and mom's standing outside waiting for us to figure it out, okay? And we're kind of pushing and shoving and looking and like, whoa, what's mom doing out there staying in the wind? She has given us that look. You know the look? And that meant like, get the door, right? I was like, oh, you know, so pick herself off the floor and you get the door, right? Mom kind of walks in, right? And these were all valuable training lessons. Uh, You know, uh, another thing my mother taught me was like how to dress myself, okay? And uh, for me, I actually, it's interesting. I I have a very distinct memory of my grandmother, helping me learn how to tie my shoes. I think when it came to dressing myself, it needed to be a group effort. I don't know my mom said, I don't think there's any hope for this kid. Uh, bring in reinforcements and my grandmother shows up. But I remember like learning how to tie my shoes and, and you know, and I eventually figured it out, you know, and here I am and, you know, I'm, I'm doing okay. I got my shoes on. I have all my clothes on and look at you. Everybody is fully dressed and you're looking great. But I have a feeling that your mother had something to do with some of your early training. And by the way, learning how to get dressed, that's a really important life skill. If you haven't got that figured out, chances are life has been really complicated and you can't hold a job and and why do people not like me? And you know, it's just, it's because getting dressed is really important. And I'll also tell you this, getting dressed spiritually is of equal importance, if not more importance. And that is why when you come to Ephesians chapter 6, you see this strong exhortation, you need to be fully clothed with the armor of God. Because the book of Ephesians ends with this grand culmination to point out we are living in the midst of a war. Not just things that we see in some physical locations and some hotspots and like a war that's going on in Ukraine. We're talking about the spiritual war that is in full throttle existence. And that's why you see in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. We are to be strong in God's strength, in his armor, putting him on because we're in a fight. And what does this fight look like? Look at verse 11 and 12. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle... It's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. You see, we're in a war, and the enemy of our souls, Satan, the devil, he's not only got his minions, these, the fallen angels, they're referred to as demons, who are aligned with his purposes, but Satan 
has a strategy. You'll notice that it says right there in verse 11, these are the schemes of the devil. The methodia is the Greek word. It was used of animals who would very stealthily, very cunningly, sneak up upon their prey, and then unbeknownst to whatever they're going to about pounce on, they would just jump and snap their neck. I mean, it's just, they didn't didn't even know what was happening. This was the word. And that is how the enemy of our souls functions. And if you remember these last two weeks, we've referred to, and I've tried to walk through what his strategy is. We've referred to it as the killer D's. These killer D's that the devil uses to bring destruction to the lives of believers. And maybe, maybe this will sound familiar. I'll just rehearse a few of them. Like doubt, denial, discouragement. Face that this week? Discontentment. Diversion, disregard, disinterest, deception, destruction. How about this one? Disunity. Why, one of his key elements of his struggle is what? Divide and conquer. If, if Satan can call you out, get you to be separated, think you don't really need people, and you certainly don't need God, you're, you're just devastation waiting to happen. In fact, you might be experiencing that now. Doctrinal confusion, duplicity, or just, just raw disobedience. You know the right thing to do, and you choose not to do it. I want you to know that's all part of the strategy. That's why verse 13 is so important. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. Take up the full armor of God. That is the only way you'll stand firm. You can't stand strong in your own strength. That doesn't work. You need God's armor, his strength in your life. And when he says you, it's a plural you. And he's calling to mind, he's using military language, this whole idea of take up. That's a military term to get ready, get ready for the fight. And he's saying all of you, you, plural. And he's, he's referring to the imagery of Roman legions. And that's how they fought together, arm in arm, shield to shield. And when they were together and they never broke rank, they were almost invincible. And so he's saying, you have to understand this. We are in a spiritual war. And the victory is already established and certain. When Jesus Christ, the eternal son of God, came to this earth, he lived a perfect life. He fulfilled all the law's demands. He is perfectly righteous. And he went to the cross and died as a perfect sacrifice for sin. And you're like, well, why did he have to die? Because the wages of sin, missing the mark, is death. So someone's going to pay. Either you or God says, you could never pay that. I've got to send my son and I will. And so Christ died on our behalf and he rose from the grave three days later to authenticate to the world he is God and the way of salvation and relationship with God has been established and it is through Christ and Christ alone. And nothing that Satan can throw at us is stronger than him. But in this life, we're going to have a struggle, and that's why he says what we find here in verse 2, excuse me, in verse 15, and that is that we need to put on the whole armor of God. And so he says, verse 15, we are to shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You know, this armor, uh, when he's talking about it, it's figurative language. It's a metaphor. And 
He's using a Roman soldier and all the armor they put on and the order in which they put on, but it's a metaphor for our spiritual strength that is found in Christ. And this armor of God, it actually has parallels to what you find in the book of Isaiah in which the Messiah is wearing this kind of armor. And you see, Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of every piece that we see here. It's the whole armor of God is really a picture of Jesus Christ. So when he talks about putting on the full armor of God, what he's saying is we are to be the ones who are living in relationship with Christ. And so he says, put it on, and he's listing the very first thing that we're to put on to stand strong in the strength of his might. We are to be committed to his truth, okay? So we saw this last week. He said, verse 14, Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. Our life is to be based on the truth of God's word, okay? We're not running around believing in lies and myths. Our life is rooted firmly in the truth. And we're also to put on, like we saw last week, the breastplate of righteousness. Not only the righteousness given to us by Christ, who fulfilled all righteousness, and we receive it, it's credited to us, but because we're in relationship with this living God, Our life, though imperfect, reflects this righteousness. We are walking in his ways. And that leads us then to verse 15, which tells us this. We are to be communicating the gospel of peace. He says, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So here he says, we are to be prepared. And just like uh, a soldier would put on these boots. He would have his feet shod with these boots. So it is in a parallel way that we are be prepared with the gospel of peace. So the word shod has the idea of being fitted, where you are actually, it's fastened to your foot. A New Testament scholar, Harold Honer, spoke of these uh, shoes that these soldiers would wear. He says, the Roman legionaries wore heavy sandals with soles made of several layers of leather averaging about three-quarters of an inch thick, studded with hollow-headed hobnails. They were tied by leather thongs halfway up the shin and were stuffed with wool or fur in the cold weather. And what this did is allow these soldiers to have maximum footing. It's kind of like if you play soccer, football, baseball, it works a lot better if you have cleats on, right? Because if that feels a little bit muddy... Why, you're slipping and sliding everywhere. You're really not going to be very effective. But when you got your cleats on, guess what? You have traction. Well, these soldiers, they're not playing a game, kicking a little ball around. No, these soldiers are fighting for their lives. And most of a soldier's fighting, whether the Romans, was hand-to-hand combat. So once the spears were thrown, once the archers unloaded all their arrows, they moved forward, and it was hand-to-hand, mano to mano, right there. And someone's going to die as a result of this fight. If you're slipping around, you can't like, hey, wait, I didn't put my cleats on or anything like that. You're just dead. And so what these soldiers do, they would get in position and they had, they had those like nails driving into that ground and they could hold their ground. They could put their full force of strength into winning that fight. And he's saying, you want to be ready. When you look at world history, One of the reasons that Alexander the Great was so effective in basically conquering the world and Julius Caesar kind of followed that same step is because they had learned the importance of making sure that their soldiers were well prepared by having the right footwear. 
They could travel great distances. They were able to have a lot of facility in motion in battle, and they had a lot of stability because they had these kind of shoes on, and it made all the difference. And so Paul is saying, just like Roman soldiers understand the footwear that is needed, so it is that you and I need to have the gospel of grace as our footwear. And you're like, well, how is it that you, you put on this armor? How do you put on this footwear? Why, it's by doing this, by loving and living in the reality of relationship with Christ. By loving and living in the reality of relationship with Christ, we put this on. And so he says, verse 15, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And this gospel of peace is right out of Isaiah 52, 7, which speaks of those who bring good news by pronouncing that God is the victor and he's going to save and redeem his people. And so we are to put on this gospel of peace. And what is this gospel? The word gospel means good news. It's the good news that w- of what God has done in Christ Jesus. You see, it is the good news about all that God has done, is doing, and will do through the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is a kingdom gospel. It's not just receive Christ, get forgiveness of sins, and do whatever you want, but it is place your faith in Christ, receive his righteousness, and follow him as a disciple. And so let me give you a simple definition. I put it right up here on the board. It means means the good news that by grace, God forgives and redeems all who are broken over their sin, believe in the perfect life, substitutionary death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and receive eternal life as a disciple in his kingdom. And I want you to know that all of those words are important. You've got to actually uh, be broken over your sin to recognize that you've missed the mark. You're created by God to know God, to love him, to live for him. Are we doing that? No. That's all means to miss the mark, an ancient archery term, to miss the perfect mark. So we're broken of our sin, but we then believe in Christ, that he is the eternal son of God. He's lived a perfect life. He's the one who died in our place, and he rose again. And not only will we believe, but we receive eternal life. You can't earn relationship with God. You can't even keep it. It is a gift from God. He gives eternal life. When does eternity end? It doesn't. It's not probationary life. It's eternal life as one of his disciples. And so that's what we are to put ourselves in. We're always remembering the gospel of Christ. And he's picturing it like a person putting on their shoes. It's that essential. So, you know, moms, how many times have you had to say this? Like way more than you could ever count. But you're, you're going to go somewhere and you say, hey, kids, put on your, what is it? Shoes, right? And, and like, you probably had to say that. Some of you moms like five times already today, right? And because if you're going to go somewhere, you need to have your shoes on. I remember one time, <laughs> Uh, we were going on one of our family camping trips. And I want you to know, going camping with six, okay? Four kids, getting all that gear loaded up in that van, all of those kids, all their stuff without the cats. I mean, I, it was a chore, right? You're practically wiped out and you haven't even left your driveway, right? And so we're going on one of our camping trips. We got everybody packed in there and we, we packed to the hilt. And we then pulled into one of our campsites there and, 
and the kids are all bailing out, and I notice that one of them isn't, like, wearing their shoes, and I'm thinking, well, they took their shoes off, and they're in the van. And I'm like, hey, and I'm not going to name it, but it, it was one of our girls, okay? So you're down to two, okay? And, uh, and I said, hey, where's your shoes? Oh, I, I didn't bring any. I mean, you didn't bring it, like, even your flip-flops? No? And I'm like, what? you got to be kidding me. It's not like you're five years old. That'd be understandable. No? Uh, you, you literally, you went camping. You're, we're going to spend this entire time out here, and you have no shoes. I want you to know, for that child, they pretty much just stayed in the campsite, right? They didn't go exploring and all the hikes that we went on there, because why? They didn't have the shoes. They weren't prepared. See, you know, if you do not have shoes, and you, they're not on, well, you know what? You're really not ready. And I'll also tell you this, you can't put on what you don't possess. So if you're here today and you're like, I've never really trusted Christ, I'm religious, or maybe you're religious, I could care less about God and what's going on here, I want you to know you can't actually put on these shoes and wear them because you've never received Christ. You're not equipped for the basics of life. And so he says... We are to put on, we are to be prepared. Do you see that word there? To shod means to bind sandals or shoes to one's feet. And you know, it'd be a shame, though, if you had the shoes and you never wore them, right? Like they're just kind of laying around in your closet somewhere or you left them in the garage or who knows where they are, right? We are to put them on on a regular basis. So I just thought, like in honor of moms on Mother's Day, I thought we'd just do a crash course in reviewing how to tie your shoes, okay? So here it is. I, I found this, this picture, and I'm like, okay, this makes a lot of sense. Let me just explain to you what's going on here. So you put on the shoe, which means you have to find it, right? But you put it on, then you tighten the laces, you make a simple knot, you tighten it again, you make a loop, you go around the loop with the, another lace, then you pull the other lace under the loop and make a loop with the other lace, okay? Then that goes under where your index finger was holding the loop, and then you pull the loops and you tighten them, but don't pull too hard because if you pull the lace through, guess what? You got to start all over again. I mean, actually, it's, it's kind of complicated, right? No wonder it's hard to get, but I mean, I got it. By the time I was age 18, I, I had this down, right? I'm kidding. I think it was a little earlier, but I don't know, right? But that's how you tie your shoes. Like, okay, and some of you actually took your phone out and took a picture. That's great. Okay, I'm glad I could be helpful for you today. You're learning so much at church. This is great. Well, what are the basics then of just being geared up with the gospel? Well, let me just tell you what it looks like. First, you have to remember the gospel of your salvation. You have to think about it. Think about what God has done for you. He's given you salvation. He's redeemed you. He's redeemed you from slavery to sin. He purchased you out of that slave, slavery pit. He's taken you from death and darkness to light and life. He's provided you adoption. Like when you put your faith in Christ, guess what? He brought you into his family. You have experienced propitiation. He, you know Jesus Christ satisfied God's just wrath against sin by dying in your place. He gave you justification. He's declared you right. He loves you eternally. Nothing can separate you from the love of God which is found in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. I tell you what, you remember the gospel of your salvation and you rejoice in it. You put on the shoes of the gospel 
by rejoicing in these realities. It's not just like, okay, yep, yep, those theological things, that's all good, whatever. No, you let your heart thrill in the realities of being in relationship with God, like a sense of joy, gratitude, expression of thanksgiving, like, wow, God, thank you that you love me and you forgive me. A sinner like me, wow, you're awesome, God. And you put on you put on these shoes, you are girded up, you are gar- geared up with the gospel when you represent the gospel of peace to others. That you not only are living and thankful for this reality, you are showing the gospel and you are sharing it with your words. Even in the times that you mess up, listen, don't get the illusion that you're perfect because none of us are, right? The only thing perfect about us is our Savior. And we're going to mess up. We'll mess up in front of the guys and gals at work, in our school, folks at church. Let them know, hey, I want you to know that it's God's gospel. It's God's grace. It's Jesus who provides forgiveness and life. He's the one that makes all the difference. That is our message And if we are to have traction in this life, if we're going to move forward in God's kingdom agenda, we're going to fulfill his purposes where we are light and salt in this earth, you know what? We've got to make sure that we are living in the gospel, that we are geared up with the gospel. And I'll tell you this, we're going to trip up if our shoes are untied. It seems as if this is one of like Satan's great strategies to get us to trip up to keep us unprepared, to keep a text like this and go, okay, just kind of pass it over, right? I'll remember the armor of God, but I'm not going to really live in it. I'm not going to really apply it. I want you to know that like having your shoes untied, that's actually a pretty dangerous situation. You ever tripped, fallen down, stepped on your own laces? Can be painful. I know this from firsthand experience, especially when you're running. You go down really hard, fast, bam. Uh, if you follow NBA, the NBA, you'll probably remember this. January 2014, uh, one of the New York Knicks players, a guy by the name of J.R. Smith, was fined for $50,000 for unsportsmanlike conduct. And what had happened is uh, two days prior, when they were playing uh, the Dallas Mavericks, well, there's our man, right? He's shooting free throws. Uh, while he was doing that, so Dirk is there, and he's getting ready to make another free throw. Uh, you'll notice that uh, Sean Marion is standing there. And uh, do you see Smith there? Uh, don't think that he's like swiping some like fuzz off, the, off Marion's shoe there. Actually, you know what he's doing? He pulled his lace and untied his shoe. You know how you kind of get down there? You just get it reached over and whoosh. And he untied his shoe on the notes. Well, I want you to know the folks that kind of watch the NBA, they picked up on this, right? And they gave him a very stern warning. Knock it off. Don't do it again. Well, you know, some people, they learn the hard way. And so JR, two days later, the Knicks are playing the Pistons. And uh, he attempts to unlace, uh, untie Greg Monroe's shoe. Same tactic. But I don't know if Greg had watched film or something like that, but he moved his foot away just in time to not get his lace pulled. And it was after that they find him. And I tell you this because Satan has a similar strategy to kind of get your shoes just untied, for you to be unprepared so that you're tripping over your laces, that you're not taking this seriously. You see, the gospel of peace is our lifeline to knowing the all-sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And God wants us living 
in this reality, remembering it, rejoicing, representing the gospel of peace to the people in our lives. And just like Roman soldiers were prepared to stand and withstand whatever they faced, so it is with us. The only way we will stand and withstand all that's coming against us is if our shoes are on and we're prepared with the gospel of peace. You see, the gospel of peace is our lifeline to knowing the all-sufficiency of Christ. And let me just give you some of the great blessings and benefits and strength and security that come from knowing Christ. Through Christ, do you know that we can have peace with God? It says in Romans 5.1, Therefore, having been justified by, pace, pe- justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The only way that you will ever really have peace with God, it's not by being religious, it's not by collecting Bibles, it's not by doing good things, it's by putting your faith in Jesus Christ, the perfect one. And he will give you his peace. You can really know God, not just know about him. Plenty of people know about God. I'm talking about really knowing him. In fact, that's one of the great emphasis of the book of Ephesians. Remember in Ephesians chapter 2 where he talks about you were dead in your trespasses and sins? What did God do? Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Do you see that? God, by grace, made us alive. We have peace with God. I want you to know through Christ, we not only can have peace with God, we can have, we can have through Christ peace with ourselves. And what I'm talking about here is when you and I place our faith in Christ, we not only have peace in actually knowing God, but that internal war, guess what? It's over. You can actually know peace, security, love, stability. I can tell you that if you don't really know Christ, if you're not trusting in him, you don't have this peace, this deep abiding peace. There's this hole in your life, and, there's, and you try to fill it, and there's this angst and this anger and this burning and this turning. I know from firsthand experience because before I trusted Christ, I experienced that void. And if you're here today and you don't know Christ, you really don't have peace. You can feign it, but you probably get to a point where you're just like, I'm not even feigning anymore. And you're kind of mad at the world, mad at yourself, unhappy with pretty much everything kind of around you. It's because what's missing is Christ. Christ not only gives you peace with God, you can experience that peace in your life. And that's what he desires. That's why he has given you Jesus. His love has been demonstrated on the cross. It's your opportunity to trust him now. Through Christ, you know what? We can have actually peace with each other. One of the things the book of Ephesians shows us is that we are all very different. We come from different backgrounds. We have different skills, gifts, different economic status, different educational opportunities. We have all sorts of differences. But you know what brings us all together? Jesus Christ. He's the head. We are a part of his body. We have all sorts of differences. But what unites us is Jesus Christ. He's the common denominator, but not the common denominator that divides us, but actually the common denominator that unites us in him. And that means 
that we're in relationship with him. We have his peace. And peace is a big theme in the book of Ephesians, like Ephesians 2, verses 13 through 15. Listen to this. He says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who are formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our what? Our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments, contained in ordinances, so that himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. That's what God gives, his peace, and a peace that we realize. And so Ephesians chapters 4, 5, and 6 tell us how to live in the peace of God. Remember how chapter 4 begins? He says, Therefore I, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, a calling with which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance with one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. God gives unity. He gives peace. Where's that found? In Christ. And so I want you to know that if you are in relationship with people, close relationship, guess what? You're going to step on toes sometimes. It's going to happen. It's going to happen in your family. It's going to happen in our church family. And what happens when you step on someone's toes? Do you just like, oh, that's it. I'm out of here. I leave. Uh, I'm going to do the passive aggressive thing. Uh, No, we can do better than that. Why? Because Jesus Christ has given us all the tools for successful, joyful, long-term relationships. Remember how Ephesians chapter 4 ends? He simply says this, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. We have the ability, because of Christ, to forgive people from the heart, to release them from the dead. So what? So we can enjoy that peace that comes from knowing God. Peace that is, comes from relationship with him. And since we're talking about this peace that we can have with one another, I will tell you today in the United States, this is absolutely what is needed. Right now, we continue to see racial issues, and there are some that are just trying to fuel this fire, right? All the progress that has been made, well, we got some folks that are like, no, 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 we're going we're gonna to stoke this fire. Even just read yesterday's news, and you're like, are you kidding me? You're really saying that? I want you to know, these are deep-seated issues. There is a lot of hurt There is no man-made solution. Don't think that, well, we're going to get smart enough or we can invoke some laws or we'll throw some money at it and we'll make this problem all just go away. That is never going to work, and it hasn't worked. But there is a solution, and the solution has come from God himself. And you know what the solution is? It is the gospel of peace. That is God's solution to the brokenness of our world that we would be reconciled to him. And when we have Christ, why we have the ability to really love one another, to experience peace, to express forgiveness, to really appreciate one another because we're all made in the image of God. Every person demands respect, has dignity, and the Christian sees it. You know, God's solution is his gospel. And you know who's the one who's supposed to bring the gospel to our world? Who is it? It's you and me. we got a responsibility. And you're like, are you kidding me? I'm, I'm part of God's answer to the huge problems of this world? Uh-huh, that's right. And so I have a question for you. Are your shoes on, and are they tied? Because if not, 
we're not going to make any progress, right? We're going to sit, well, someone else will deal with it. I'm just going to watch on the sidelines. Uh Uh-uh. God's saying, you're in the game. There's a war going on. And in order to make traction in a broken world, you need to be shod with the gospel of peace. You need to be prepared. And the other thing I'll tell you is this. Because God has given us peace with one another through Christ, can I encourage you? Get to know your family members. Not just your immediate family related by blood. I'm talking about the family members of the faith. I mean, it is absolutely amazing that you can sit next to someone on a plane and you can find out like, wow, they too, they have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you have instant bonds. You can talk about almost anything with that individual. How is that possible? I'll just tell you, it's because of the blood of Christ that was shed 2,000 years ago. It's relationship with him. And through Christ, I will tell you this, we can offer God's peace to the people in this world. And God intends for us to do though. That's why he tells us, I want you to make sure, verse 15, that you have shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. When we are willing to share Jesus Christ with our lives and our words, it's like Isaiah 52, verse 7, that speaks of these emissaries who have beautiful feet. It's not that your physical feet are beautiful. Frankly, mine are not so much, right? And you don't need to show me yours, right? But what makes your feet beautiful is that they're walking forward with the gospel of grace and peace, and it makes all the difference in the world. That means that we need to share the gospel. I will tell you that when you think about the gospel a lot and when you share it, it makes your Christian life filled with um, not only veracity, but it becomes vibrant. You become winsome. There's just something life-giving about willing to share the gospel of Christ. So you need to share the gospel. Like, share your story. Just share, like, how you came to know Jesus. Life before Christ. You don't have to get into all the gore details, but enough to know, like, hey, I was once lost. Pretty clear how you came to know Christ, and how you've been growing in him. Share your story. Share a few scripture verses, like John 3.16, 14.6, Romans 6.23. Like, those are verses worth memorizing. Those verses can easily just explain the beauty of knowing Jesus. But I want you to know that it's more than just, well, I'm going to let my life, my actions, just speak the message. But I'm never going to talk with anybody about that. I, I want to challenge that thinking. I know it's popular, but I want to challenge it. There's a, a parable that I've uh, wanted to share with you for some time. It was written by Andrew Wilson. It's called The Parable of the Lawnmower. No, it's not in the Bible, okay? Andrew wrote this, all right? They didn't have lawnmowers in New Testament time. They had goats. Okay, The Parable of the Lawnmower. He writes, We all know that words without deeds are dead. However, deeds without words are also dead. Consider the following. Let's say I have a neighbor, and I want to preach Christ to him using my deeds. I greet him over the garden fence. I invite him and his wife over for dinner, where I show them the best hospitality, which I am capable. I explain that I am a Christian, but make no attempt to share the gospel. Noticing that his garden could use a bit of work, I offer him my lawnmower, which he accepts, and eventually, through repeated usage, breaks. I do not complain or ask him to replace it. I replace it myself and continue to allow him to use it whenever he sees fit. 
I help whenever I can. In all things, I seek to display unconditional kindness toward him and to love him as I love myself, and eventually he dies. Now, what have my actions preached to him? They have preached that Christians are people who do good things for their neighbor. They have preached that niceness and kindness and morally upright behavior are what make you a Christian. In short, they have preached justification by works. Your works have indeed preached something, but it isn't the gospel. Friends, we need to get our shoes on and lace them up. And yes, we want to live out this life we have in Christ, how we go about our schoolwork, when we're playing on that athletic field, what it looks like at work, in our community, with our neighbors. But at some point, we've got to be prepared to share and to actually speak about our relationship with Christ. Otherwise, we're sitting on the sidelines. The, the greatest coach of all time, as voted by his peers, was a guy by the name of John Wooden. I'm sure you've I've heard of John Wooden, right? He won 10 national championships in 12 years with the UCLA Bruins. Um, this guy, a living legend. His teaching methods, considered sometimes rather unorthodox, but very effective. To give you a, like a perfect example of John Wooden and how he co- coached and taught, um, on the very first day of practice, he always had the very same thing on the first day. And mind you, UCLA uh, and the time of Wooden would basically have the very best talent our country could offer in terms of college basketball. I mean, he could get the very top high school recruits to come to UCLA. And so uh, what would happen? This happened every season. He'd have all the guys, and they're all there. They're all dressed and ready to go to practice, and, and Wooden would come in to the locker room. Uh, and he'd say, okay, uh, men, I, I need you to have you take your shoes and your socks off for me. And they're like looking around. Now, the veterans, they kind of knew it was coming, but the, the new guys, these freshmen, they're like, what's wrong with this old guy here? What? Okay. And he says, I'm serious, so please take your shoes and socks off. So, and then Wooden himself would take his shoes and his socks off, and so everybody's doing this. He says, okay, so what, what I'm going to teach you today is, is how to put your socks and shoes on. <laughs> You know, some of these guys are like, you've got to be kidding me, right? And so he'd say, okay, so you take your sock, and he'd show him, and he'd put his sock on, and make sure that heel is right there, kind of in that cup right there. And then, and then okay, pull it really snugly, and I, I need you to take your fingers and, and go over your toes and go all the way, make sure it's very smooth. There's, there's absolutely no bumps, okay? Feel that really smooth. Make sure it's really pulled nice and tight, okay? And pull those socks up, good, okay, great. And next now, I'm going I'm to teach you how to put your shoes on. So, okay, so put your shoes in. Now, what you need to do is you need to actually open it completely up. Don't just shove it in there. Uh, you need to open up all the laces. Okay, get your foot in there. Okay, now, each eyelet, and you grab those laces, you can tighten every single one. It needs to be really snug. You're playing on a hard floor. Each one of those laces needs to be snug. Okay, you work your way all the way up those high-top shoes. Okay, now I need you to tie this knot, okay? All right, you got it? Good. And now I need you to, to double tie it because I never want your shoes coming untied in practice or in a game. And so these guys are all tying their shoes and they're kind of doing it. They're looking at Wooden. He's, he's doing the exact same thing. And then uh, he'd, he'd stand up and then he'd, he'd just like walk away. He's like moving out of the locker room and 
And they're all kind of like looking at him. And then he'd, he'd turn around and he had like this little gleam in his eyes. And this is what he'd say. He said, that is the, the first lesson. You see, if there are wrinkles in your sock and your shoes are not put on correctly, you're going to develop a blister. And if you develop a blister, you're not going to be able to practice. And if you don't practice, you can't play. And if you don't play, we can't win. And we're here to win championships. And if you want to win a championship, you must take care of the smallest of details. And with that, he'd say, practice is over. And he'd walk off. Years later in an interview, uh, this became rather well known. This is how he started practice every season. With all of his championship teams, it all got started in learning how to put your socks and shoes on. He was asked about that and why he did that, and he just simply said this. Failing to prepare is preparing to fail. You know, and that made a lot of sense. You're going to win a championship? Well, you better have your socks and your shoes on right. That, that makes sense. You get that? Because if you're going to win the game, you've got to be ready to play. But I have news for you. <laughs> you're not in the game. You're in the war. Do you know that? Are you prepared? Do you have the gospel of peace? Is it in your life? Are you laced up? Are you ready to go to live it and to share it? Because the gospel of peace is our lifeline to knowing the all-sufficiency of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, the clarity, the truth. God, if there is someone here today who's never really truly trusted you, they we talk about peace, they don't have it. In fact, it is this huge hole in their life. Would they just, right now that you've got their full attention, just pray with me and say, God, I turn from myself and my sin. This morning, I am trusting in Jesus Christ. I need forgiveness. I need your life. I need your peace. And we're asking God that um, for all of us who do know you, that we would walk in your ways, that we would know your goodness that we would live boldly in the joy of our salvation, that we would be unashamed of the gospel, that we would not only live out this relationship with Christ, but we would share it with our words and our way of life. For your kingdom advancement, for your glory, we love you because you first loved us, and we pray all this in Jesus' name.